Hello to everybody watching online. Glad you could be with us this morning. Let's pray. My name's Scott. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I get to the privilege of being the pastor here at Novation as well as teaching this morning. So let's seek the Lord together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what we're going to look at today in your word, that it, you transform lives. Jesus, you are the anointed one. I pray that you would release your anointing in this room, that we would be able to have ears to hear what you have to say for us. Lord, that truly our minds would be changed, our lives would be changed, we'd be healed, we'd be filled with hope, we'd be filled with new zeal to walk with you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So, the word icon, you know, when you think of who's an iconic figure, how many Bronco fans do we have? Who's the most, when you think of the Denver Broncos, which iconic player comes to mind? Tim Tebow, hello. (laughs) I knew it was going to be Elway. I have two Elway jerseys and a Tebow jersey. So um, when you think of early, the beginning of rock and roll, some of you are old enough, you were around when rock and roll began. Who comes to mind? The beginning of rock and roll? Elvis or the Beatles, right? It's debatable, depends on what side of the pond you're on, I guess, right? Um, When you think of country music, who's the iconic figure of Garth Brooks? Randy Track, Johnny Cash. Who do you say, Dars? And Merle Haggard. <laughs> what about anybody like Western movies? All right, John Wayne, you're beating, beating me to the punch here on this one. How about the TV show The Office? Michael Scott, hello. Um, so, any YouTubers in here? A couple of you? Some of you are going, what's a YouTube, man? <laughs> what's the YouTube? <laughs> the U- YouTube is an amazing phenomenon, and there are people who have their own channels, and they make so much money. I had to phone a friend on who was the biggest YouTuber because I didn't know, but I was told this was a guy named PewDiePie. You've heard of him? <laughs> See, I, I know what's up. That's right. You're with me. I'm hip and happening. But this guy's worth $40 million. $40 million, and he's got all these people. He's considered by Newsweek magazine to be in the top 100 influential people in the world, having a YouTube channel talking about video games or something. So I don't get it. But anyway, I don't want to digress too much there. When you think of the Old Testament, who are the iconic figures of the Old Testament? I think of... Abraham, Moses, and David probably, right? Those three. I heard of Joshua. Yeah, I believe that too. But when you think of the New Testament, obviously it's Jesus. He is the foremost important person in the New Testament. But I would say the second most is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul in his influence and what he did was amazing. We're in a series called Kingdom Go. We took the beginning of the year and we 
did highlights of the book of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And we call that kingdom come because Jesus inaugurated his kingdom when he came into this world. And then he commissioned the disciples to go. And that commission is still happening today to go into all the world and tell them the good news. Tell them that I've overcome death and sin and the evil one. So today's message is called Better Call Saul. I've never seen the show, but I thought I would catch your attention if I, if I named it that. We're going to look at, at the calling of the Apostle Paul and who he was, a little bit of background, and I, I believe God has a good word for us. In Acts 13, verse 9, it's a little short verse. It says, Saul, who was also known as Paul. So if you break that down, Saul was his Hebrew name, Shaul in, in Hebrew, and it means asked for or prayed for. If you've heard that word name Saul before, it's because the very first king of Israel was King Saul, and they had asked God for a king, and he was asked for, he was prayed for, and so King Saul was, and he was a very handsome, big, strapping fellow on the outward, outward speaking. Paul is, is his Roman name, and the word, name Paul means small and humble. So you got this big in stature Saul humble and small, Paul. So knowing how important Paul is to the New Testament, how iconic his life was and his work, we want to dig into who was Paul and what was his story and what's his his backstory a little bit too. Because as you continue to read in the book of Acts, you see all the things that Paul did, and we're going to learn about his missionary journeys and all kinds of things and other letters that he wrote. Let's read in chapter 9. I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, but before I do that, last week Brian taught about Stephen, and Stephen was the first martyr, right? And Stephen, after he was stoned to death for preaching the gospel, for telling these religious leaders that they were rejecting the true Messiah, they killed him. And as he died, he fell at the feet of, of Saul. This guy named Saul, and this is where we pick it up. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. Now as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell on the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas. 
for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer in my behalf of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. Who's Paul? What's his story? In this passage that we just read, first thing I want to share with you is this. Saul went from being a religious terrorist to Paul, the humble follower of Jesus. Transformed from being Saul, the religious terrorist, to Paul, this now humble follower of Jesus. How did this happen? Well, he encountered the risen Lord Jesus. He encountered the real God. He encountered the living God. He was convinced and he was convicted by this encounter with Jesus. Um, 20-something years ago, I went to Israel for the first time. And yes, I have told you I've been to Israel. <laughs> and the very first time I went, we had, every time you go, you get a guide. And our guide was a man named Yehuda. And Yehuda was an Olympic athlete for the nation of Israel. And he was like a runner or something. And um, he told us his story of how he became a Christian. He was the son, is the son of an Orthodox uh, rabbi who reject Jesus, our Jesus as Messiah. And he was injured and he was in the, the hospital and a group of Christians were covertly going around room to room and praying over people. And so they came into Yehuda's room and they prayed over him and they prayed for his healing. And as they prayed over him, Jesus appeared to him just like this. And he said, Yehuda, I am Jesus. I am the Messiah. Follow me. And he got healed from whatever his ailment was. So he goes home and he tells his dad, the Orthodox rabbi, Dad, Jesus appeared to me. He is the Messiah and I'm going to follow him. And his dad said, well, you're not my son anymore. Get out of my house. You're a disgrace to this family. Well, he's going to follow Jesus after what encounter that he had. I would imagine the Apostle Paul experienced something like that as well. We see it throughout Acts, how he was constantly persecuted by the religious that wouldn't listen to the good news, just as he wouldn't listen to the good news himself when he probably first heard it or encountered Jesus himself anyway. Now, as a Pharisee, Paul had his previous objections. 
Jesus was a blasphemer to him because he called himself the son of God, therefore making himself God. Jesus said, you know, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And he was talking about his body and and that he was going to die and be resurrected. They thought he was talking about the actual temple. He could destroy that and raise it up in three days as well. He's the creator of all things. But, but I, I know, I, I believe that Paul would have been, in some of these encounters that Jesus had with the Pharisees that you read in the Gospels, I believe Paul was, was there many times listening to Jesus talk and rejecting him. That's why he could stand at the, the death of Stephen and, and give applause for it. He thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting this new way, this new following this, this Jesus. And yet, we know, as we're going to read later in this message, that over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Jesus. 500 witnesses. If there was a car wreck on 88th in, in Harlan, and three people gave testimony about what they saw in that car wreck, and if those three testimonies matched up, that's a slam dunk in a court. We're talking 500 people who saw Jesus and more, including the disciples and so forth. So there's 500 witnesses, and yet still avoiding the facts. Paul was still, Saul was still avoiding the facts. So sometimes people come up with the idea that maybe these 500 people were hallucinating when they say they saw Jesus, like they had all gone to Jerusalem's version of Woodstock and got high and, and you know, ah, maybe we saw him, dude, Jesus, you know, I don't know. But that's ridiculous to say 500 people were hallucinating at the same time. Some people said that it was a conspiracy, and the religious leaders really thought that, that this was some conspiracy for people to get together and make up this story about Jesus rising from the dead. And yet, who would be willing to die for a lie? If you, made some, you knew something was not true, would you be willing to die for it? I wouldn't. I don't think you would. I don't think anybody would. And yet we see over and over and over, disciple after disciple, follower of Jesus being persecuted, even being killed for saying they followed Jesus. So what happens is to the skeptic or to the avoider of the reality of who Jesus is, that burden becomes upon them to come up with, to come up with a historic possibility of why So many people said that they saw the risen Jesus. And when God doesn't fit into our box, because we all, until we encounter the risen Jesus, we have God in a box. We tend to do that. We put him a box around what we think God is, what God is like. And then we have to come up with our our own kind of version of God. Paul believed in a God that he had put in a box. And Jesus came and blew up his box and asked Jesus to blow up your religious box. Ask him to blow that up. All these preconceived ideas that have been passed down that aren't even true about God. Ask him to blow up your box and that you would encounter the real, risen, living Jesus. The one who said, when you've seen me, you've seen what God is like. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. And so Paul encountered him. So real quick, Paul's past. 
What was his past? Well, it's not on your notes, but in the book of Philippians, Paul gives kind of his religious credentials as a Pharisee, that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, that he obeyed the law, he did this, he did that. And his whole point was, people used to, the, the Judaizers would come in behind Paul after he would plant a church and disciple people and leave. They would sneak in beso- behind him and say, Paul doesn't really know what he's saying. He's not a real apostle. He's not this or that. And he would tell, they would tell Gentile people, non-Jewish people, that in order to follow Jesus, they had to become Jewish. Paul said, no, no, you don't. And so Paul had completely changed his thinking and had also you see him lamenting his past though and maybe some of you lament some sins in the past or things that have happened in the past and you got to dig in with the apostle Paul here and hear what he says when he tells his little young protege Timothy about his past he says this in 1 Timothy I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service. Even though I was previously a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, he can't, after he says all that, he's got to give him praise. He says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Did anybody see the movie that came out a few years back, The Apostle Paul? Anybody see that? Jim Caviezel plays Luke. If you haven't seen it, go find it. You can find it somewhere. And um, they do such a good job. It's Paul at the end of his life when he's in Rome awaiting execution from the emperor. Think about it. He was executed and beheaded for sharing the gospel, for saying that that he was living for another kingdom and not Rome or whoever, you know, not submitting to that. All he, his only crime was preaching the gospel. And in the movie, they do such a cool job at the end. Paul's beheaded, and he wakes up in heaven. And in, in heaven, he, the first thing he sees is this group of people coming towards him. And in particular, there's this little girl, and she comes and, and she hugs him, and people are kind of rallying around him. They're the people that he had killed. They are the followers of Jesus that he had killed. And they greet him with love and grace. And then he looks up and he sees Jesus walking towards him. It's powerful. Powerful scene of how God is a, Jesus is a restorer. So each one point I want to make this morning, I want us to personalize it. And on this one, here's how you can personalize it. If Paul can be forgiven, so can you and I. If Paul can be forgiven, so can you and I. Now, I don't like to compare sins because we, 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 sin is sin, right? You know, but I, I think it's an, it needs to beg the question like Paul murdered God's people and was forgiven. You know, I don't know what you've done that you might think compares to that, but I, I highly doubt anybody 
compares to that. I'm not saying we should compare sin. Don't hear that. I'm trying to make you feel the weight of how powerful the forgiveness of God is, how powerful God, God is in His grace. Don't believe that you're unforgivable. That is a lie from the pit of hell, that you're unforgivable somehow. You're not. Paul is a living proof of that. Secondly, Paul, Saul went from being a religious fanatic to Paul rooted in relationship. He, to be a fanatic is extreme, uncritical, zeal without wisdom. Some might call my fanship of the Rockies fanatic. <laughs> my bad. It is. I'm loyal. You do want me to be your fan because I'm loyal. But I digress. Paul entered into a, a radical new relationship with the Father. He went from being this religious guy, do's and don'ts and da-da-da, to in love with the Father, knowing who he was in Jesus. It's interesting, you know, Paul said, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, I'm Jesus, and you're persecuting my people. You're persecuting me. You persecute my people, you persecute me, is what he said. Jesus is identifying with his followers there. That when we suffer, he suffers. Think about that next time you suffer. Next time you go through a difficulty, your Lord Jesus is suffering with you. He is in tune with everything you're going through. That's how close we are. We're in this relationship. And he's there walking with us. Now, Paul, he had a transformation in his thinking completely where you read through his letters to the churches and you see this phrase over and over and over, in Christ, that who we are in Christ, because of Christ, that he saw it in such a way that when Jesus died, we died. When Jesus was buried, we were buried. When Jesus rose again, we rose again. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, we ascended to the right-handed Father with him and are seated at his right hand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many feel seated at the right hand of the Father right now? If you don't, it's because you're not thinking about it. Or maybe this is the first time you've heard it. We are, we, everything that is Christ's, Everything that the Father has given to the Son, the Son has shared with us. Is that good news? That's the gospel. That's the, the heart of the gospel is everything that is Jesus is He's given with us. We're joint heirs with Christ. And yet, guys, we get, let the little dumbest things of this life get us down. You, next time you get down over a little dumb thing, say to yourself, I'm a joint heir with Christ. What, what, what is, can you do to me? What can anything or anybody or any circumstance compare to being a joint heir with Jesus? Paul got this. He saw it and was blown away. And, he, and we have the scriptures to teach us now today. As I told you, often the Judaizers would come in behind Paul and try to disrupt his work. They didn't realize they were being used by the evil one to sow error and, and so forth into the, the pureness of the gospel. And to the church, churches in Galatia, Paul, Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And in the, they were the Judaizers who were messing up the churches in Galatia. And so Paul writes this letter to be distributed to the churches in, in Galatia. And 
in here, he's talking about who he was um, prior to knowing Jesus, but then the transformation that happened. Listen to this. It's fascinating stuff here. He said, stop. Don't ever forget when you're reading these letters, you're reading a letter by a real person. This is not a fable. This is historic documents inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we, when we read Scripture, you've got to get into the mind of the person that's writing the Scripture. Paul didn't know he was authoring something that we would read 2,000 years later. But thank God that we get to. All right, get off my soapbox. <laughs> For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel which was preached by me is not of human invention. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Time out. I have to stop there. So in his mother's womb, he was called to preach the gospel. And God knew he was going to become a religious zealot, terrorist, do what he did. He was still called. I let that compute just for a second. He was already called, knowing what his life was going to be like up till the Damascus Road experience. And I find it extremely interesting that he says he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Not, not to me, but in me. We often are trying to get Jesus in us. Like, I need more. You have everything you need in Jesus. Look for Jesus in people's lives. Call out Jesus in people. It was, it was pleased to reveal Christ in me. That's so important that we see that. He says, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, time out. How many years did the 12 walk with Jesus? It's interesting. Jesus spends three years alone. Paul spends three years alone with Jesus. Jesus just downloading the mystery of the gospel, the, the, the Old Testament understanding and who Jesus is. He just spends three years with him, just like the others did. Later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who's Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see another one of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. Hmm. Conversion, transformation is turning away from a life that I thought would make me happy and turning to a life in following Jesus that can bring the only real happiness turning from a God I, I've created in my own religiousness, my own legalism, my own rules, my own do's and don'ts, etc., etc., turning from that to following the living Lord Jesus. 
and putting into practice what he said to do. Whatever Jesus tells us to do or not to do, it's always for our good and for our benefit, even when it's hard. It's always for our good. So how do we personalize this? If I will abandon self-help, mean trying harder, if I will abandon religion, if I will abandon legalism, legalism is trying to merit God's favor and forgiveness by what we do and don't do rather than following Jesus. I can experience relationship with God through Jesus. If I will abandon self-help, meaning, God, I'm going to try harder. Watch me, God, watch me, God. I won't do it again. I'll never do it again. I'll try harder. I'll be a good boy. Don't do that no more. (laughs) Abandon that. How, How far does that get us anyway? The harder we try, Paul says, the law arouses our sinful nature. The more I say, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Uh Uh-oh, I'm doing it. (laughs) It's just the way it works. Abandon that. Abandon being religious. God doesn't want us to be all religious. He's into relationship. He doesn't want us to be a legalist. He doesn't want us to live just through the lenses of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. He wants us to live rooted in, in relationship. And then lastly, Saul went from being a useless servant of religion to Paul, the useful servant of Christ. We change, we get transformed by accepting what Jesus has done for us, accepting new life. And what separates Christianity from all other religions, all other faiths, all other religions and faiths is this imaginary ladder trying to climb to get to God. I got to get to God. Oh, I, get, I made one more rent rung up the ladder. Oh, one more. Look, I'm almost there. And all of a sudden, poof, <laughs> you fall over on that ladder. You got to start over again. Christianity is God said, let me take your little ladder here. Thank you. It's cute. But I'm going to come down to you. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to enter into the mess of humanity. I'm going to enter into the, to the very core of the transgression of Adam that stained humanity. I'm going to enter into that. And I'm going to go to the, the very pit of it through my death. And then I'm going to overcome it through my resurrection. Jesus came to show us what God was like, but he also came to show us what we're supposed to be like. You know, what human, he's the perfect example of what it means to be human, to walk in love, to walk sacrificially, to care for others. Now, Paul being a useless servant of religion, becoming a useful servant of Christ. If you remember Paul, um, Jesus told Ananias, he said, I know he's, he's a bad guy. He's been a bad guy, but he's my chosen instrument. He's a chosen instrument of mine. Isn't that just like Jesus? To take someone who's at enmity with him and say, yeah, I know you hate me, and I know you think you're, you're doing God a favor, and you have your own little world over here, and you're killing my people. I pick you. <laughs> you're going to be the guy that's going to go to the whole world and tell people about me. That's amazing, but that's just like Jesus. It's just like how he, how he works. Paul's impact. Wow. 
Where do you start with the impact of the Apostle Paul? As you'll see as you read through the book of Acts, his missionary journeys was bringing the gospel to the, to the ends of the known world at the time. And he was zealous to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he, he got close. He got close. You read at the end of, of Romans where he wanted to go to Spain, which would have been called Tarshish back then. And he wanted to get there because he thought that was the last unreached nation, not knowing there were people groups you know, across the sea and all of that. So that's why the Great Commission is still going on. Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament. So in his missionary journeys, planning churches, he writes letters of encouragement. He's teaching them how God wants them to live, what's good doctrine, etc., etc. And those have been preserved for us today. Incredible impact. Now, in one of his letters to one of the places where he started a church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, he makes this statement about the gospel. He says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved if you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. From a useless servant of religion to a useful servant of Jesus. How many think Paul had a big impact on this world? He said it was all by the grace that was upon him. He said he participated, he worked harder. (laughs) He said, listen, don't tell the other 12, but I worked harder than all of them. <laughs> Even though we, we have it to be read 2,000 years later, uh, I worked hard. But, he said, not I, it was the grace of God in me. Man, that's important. He's not bragging on himself, he's bragging on God's grace. So let's personalize this. If God gave Paul a purpose and a calling, he has one for me and you too. He has one for me and you too that will be fulfilled by grace. You participate, he gives the grace. You show up, he gives the grace. You say, I'm a willing vessel, he gives the grace. Our part is just to show up. Our part is to participate. His part is to give the power. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Paul also makes the most humble statement in in all of the Bible when he says, I can do all things through strike." Christ who gives me strength. You might not think, how is that humble? Well, he's saying, whatever God calls me to do, I can do it through Christ. 
It's not going to be in my own strength. That's why it's humble. That's what humility is, depending upon God, total dependence upon God. So here's the deal. You and I don't need to be Paul. God hasn't called any of us to be Paul. There was only one Paul. He wants you to be you. He wants you to be you. You're not supposed to be me. I'm not supposed to be you. You're not supposed to be like the person sitting next to you or whoever else. You are to be you. The way he wired you and your temperament, your, 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 your hobbies, your likes, your, your personality, all of that, your life experience has been shaped to fulfill his purpose and calling in your life. You need to be you. Let me be me and you be you, right? Say that to the person next to you. No, I meant it. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Now stand up and pat your head and rub your tummy. <laughs> How has God wired you? What's been your life experience that you can pass on to somebody else? What's your gifts? What's your passion? Let all those things go into a little stew and let God, you know, let that work together and go be you in this dark world, be the light of the world because you are the light of the world. He's the light of the world. He lives in us and this world needs you. Your neighborhood needs you. Your workplace needs you. Your school needs you. People need you. God has chosen to allow us to participate with Him. He doesn't need us. He wants us to participate. And He set it up in such a way that He's patient and allows His people to work and love and bring the gospel to this world. Pray about that this week. Wake up every day and just say, Lord, I'm an empty vessel. Use me how you want to today. I show up. Today's Mother's Day, obviously. And moms, we want to celebrate you. And I think the calling of a mom is, man, how important is mom? The nurturing, the caring, the booger wiping, the <laughs> diaper changing, the, the, all the things that moms are good at that dads are often not good at. God gave me grace in the area of sickness with my kids, but only my kids. I couldn't do that for somebody else's kids, you know, when it comes to the mom kind of stuff. But mom, I miss my mom. My mom passed away three years ago, and, you know, it's, it always leaves a void, right? I mean, and I know some of you have lost your mom and it's painful. And I think Mother's Day, more than Father's Day, brings grief up in people in a different way. And I think that's because mom's role in, a, in our lives, in a family. Um, you, there's just something about, you know, mom. And it, maybe you've lost your mom and Mother's Day is painful. I know people who avoid church because it's Mother's Day and it just somehow surfaces that pain. I know moms who have lost kids and Mother's Day is painful because they've lost a child. My great-grandma, she was as country as they go. 
Her name was Flossie Hazelrig. And I ain't lying on that either. We, call, we called her Mama. And Flossie lost both of her kids. She outlived both of her kids. And she told my mom that losing a kid is the hardest thing. Outliving your kid is probably the hardest thing you'll ever go through in life if you have to. And my oldest brother passed away in 2007. And my mom, she never got over that. To the day she passed, she grieved. So I get it. I want to acknowledge that pain for anybody that's lost a mom or a grandma or a mom figure that means so much to you. Like I acknowledge, we acknowledge that pain. It's real and it's okay. It's part of being human being is grief and, and grieving. But we grieve with hope. We grieve with hope of being reunited together. And moms, we celebrate you. Moms, stepmoms, grandmas, mom figures. Am I missing anyone that covered all there? Because you're needed. So moms, stepmoms, grandmas, mom figures, would you stand? We want to honor you. Look around this room. Look at these ladies. You guys are the bomb. So proud of you. So grateful for you. Moms watching online, we are grateful for you. You're the best. Stay, stay standing with me. I want to pray a blessing over you and uh, ask God to touch you deeply today. Father, we thank you for our moms. Lord, the moms right now that are in pain today, emotionally, been hurt, had loss, still missing their own moms, would you, would you just give them great grace right now? Give them your comfort that only you can comfort, Father. Father, strengthen each lady watching and in this room. Strengthen them in their calling as a mom, as a grandma as a nurturer, as a, in relationship, as the, the, the hard work of being a mom. Bless them and strengthen them. Lord, I pray for those moms that are moms of, of, of grown children, that you give them great wisdom into speaking into their kid's life. Father, I pray for those moms that are uh, raising younger children. Give them the grace to be in the moment to uh, have the strength to carry on their daily tasks, the weekly tasks, all the things that they bounce around. God, many of them are moms and they work. God, give them extra, extra strength. God, I pray for our single moms. Father, I pray for just an extra measure of grace for them, that they would, just as Paul said, he did it all through the grace that was given, that they as well would realize the grace that's present for them. God, I thank you for our grandmas. I thank you for, for, uh, for them, Lord. Give them wisdom in, in being a grandparent. Father, I thank you for stepmoms. It's a hard role. Give them great relationship with their kids. Give them great wisdom with their kids. Continue to nurture that. Help our stepmoms never to feel second fiddle in any way, but to know that there's a calling 
you put them in their kid's life for a reason. Lord, we just bless our moms today with love. Fill them with faith. Fill them with hope. And we celebrate their lives. We celebrate our moms, our moms that are gone on to be in heaven, the moms that are still alive. We celebrate. Thank you, Lord. We know we wouldn't be here without mom. Literally. So, Lord, thank you for choosing our moms. In Jesus' name, amen.